Hi, I'm Reagan, and thanks for listening to my dad's podcast, Lasting Learning. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. You can find out more at teachbetter.com slash podcast. Now let's get back to the episode. All right, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Lasting Learning Podcast. Today, I am hanging out with a new friend of mine. I've, I've got a friend on who I've been admiring for a while via TikTok and Instagram and, and all the cool new hip things. I know I'm old when I say that, right? But she is absolutely incredible. She is an amazing educator from the great state of Texas. I'll let her debate whether or not Texas is still the great state from her own opinion. I'm sure she still thinks the state is. Maybe some of the people in politics are a different story. But she is an amazing advocate for educators, for parents, for students, for politics, and just for people to have a voice. She is full of passion. She is full of heart. And she is so stinking smart. So today, I've got the amazing Jacqueline Martinez. Jacqueline, thank you so much for hanging out with us. Thank you so much for having me. It's a privilege and honor. This is going to be a lot of fun because I I feel like I've got a lot of things I want to learn about you. You you are this person who you come across very transparent online and on social media, but I know that there's other things that you don't necessarily share there because you're sharing opinions and, and editorials. So can you just take a few minutes and unpack who you are? Who are you? What do you do? And where do you do it? Absolutely. Um, So my name is Jacqueline Martinez, born and raised in El Paso, Texas, but I've been teaching in Dallas, Texas for over 11 plus years. Um, Due to the pandemic last year, I temporarily resigned. And this was during the time before we had, you know, a vaccine available. Um, And it was a really difficult decision to make. Uh, just because, you know, teachers, we we love what we do and we love our kids, but it was during a time where I actually witnessed um, teachers, even the most vulnerable of teachers uh, were being denied their request to continue to teach virtually. And, um, you know, the teaching profession is one where we are molded to believe, I mean, I would say manipulated to believe that you are not a good teacher if you are not sacrificing yourself, if you are ignoring your needs. And um, it's kind of been normalized that that's just how teaching is. And, you know, that's just the way it is. And I thought, no, this is where I draw the line. We're in the middle of a pandemic and I don't want to leave the classroom. I'm more than happy to continue teaching virtually, um, but it's, it's time to step away for just a sec. And so during that time, I, I moved back to El Paso, Texas. I was fortunate enough to be able to lean on my parents. I know not all teachers had um, you know, that luxury. They, they have to stay in their jobs. It's a job that pays the bills and feeds you know, children and you know, pays the mortgage and all that stuff. So I came back home to El Paso. And um, during this you know, very frustrating time, uh, I was very vocal about, you know, my grievances and, um, you know, at the time I was, and even before the pandemic, I was uh, very active in speaking at school board meetings anyways. I, that was me pre-pandemic, but I feel like <laughs> it came out even more, you know, this more of a fierce kind of advocacy came out after I saw like the injustices that were just going on due to the pandemic. Um, 
And so, and I, and one, one positive thing that did come out of it is that I was able to find other parents and other teachers. I, I like to say that I found my people and, um, you know, was able to advocate with them. But even then it was like talking to a wall there, you know, they were the, the districts and the state were just set on quote unquote, going back to normal. Um, and so out of this frustration, I just needed a space where I guess I could vent. And um, I started a TikTok, not really thinking it was going to go anywhere because I, you know, I'm, I was already, I had my own social media accounts, my personal ones and, you know, no biggie. Um, and I was always, you know, expressing my opinion on those and nothing ever happened. But I guess my stories, I guess it just resonated with a lot of teachers as well as parents. And, um, you know, I attribute it to dumb luck, but just, you know, in a matter of months, um, in less than six months, I had already built a, a following and established like a social media presence. And I thought, okay, you now have this platform, you need to use it. Um, and so I, I came up with um, a new mission and the mission now is to empower teachers. Over time, it expanded to empower parents as well because a lot of my posts um, were reaching parents who also, you know, needed some type of explanation of, you know, some of the ridiculous policies that exist in education. Um, so empower teachers and, and parents, um, normalize advocacy because unfortunately, um, it's not a normal thing. It's not something that teachers tend to participate in. One, because of a very deeply rooted culture of fear. And so um, I wanna normalize that. And then the final thing is to just end toxic fear-based leadership that thrives within our profession. Mm. So, so yeah, that, that, that's where I'm at now. <laughs> you gave me a lot to unpack here. And so people that are listening right now and they can't see you, um, first of all, I, the shirt you're wearing right now, I, I commented <laughs> on this when I first saw it, you are speaking my language. And it also, it's, it's a great metaphor for what we're talking about right now. It's a, it's a Britney Spears shirt. The, the free Britney movement is strong right now. A lot of people stepping up and saying, let that woman make decisions for herself. She yeah. is, she's strong. She's smart. Let her do what she thinks is best for her. Whether we agree with it or not, let her make her decisions. And I feel like there's a part of you that has this, this free Jacqueline uh, mentality uh, attached to it. Stop make, stop letting the man in metaphorical air quotes, keep you down and keep you oppressed. Let you, let you make your own decisions and decide what's best for you. It, similarly in the, the free Britney story and drama, we see that there are a lot of people that are out there protesting and speaking their minds. And oftentimes the judges don't pay it a whole lot of attention. They are, they're already looking at the policies that they want to follow. They're looking at Brittany's dad and saying, well, when he's ready to step down, we'll let him make that decision. And, you know, he's making those decisions now, thank God. Yeah. But I feel like it's also, it's very similar to what you're telling me that you had your own personal social media and you were posting things and wasn't really gaining traction. You were showing up at school board meetings and looking at people in the eye and saying things wasn't really gaining a whole lot of traction, but now via TikTok, yeah. people are taking notice. I'm wondering if a, if you're seeing changes take place as a result of that, or do you feel like you're creating a groundswell of different people now? TikTok is probably reaching a different audience than possibly Twitter was, or even showing up at a school board meeting. Do you, do you feel like you're, you're getting just new recruits to the army now? 
I'd like to think that I am, and I guess the evidence to support that is that um, since starting that TikTok and, you know, since the videos have, you know, gone viral, because the main message, a lot of things that I say in these TikToks is like, sign up to speak at your board meeting. If you don't know how to do it, here's the tutorial on how to do that. Um, and then I also, you know, talk to teachers of like, you know, because that, that deeply rooted fear that I was talking about, you know, teachers are um, rightfully so afraid of retaliation because it's very real. It happens. It doesn't happen everywhere. And that's the other thing that I guess I want to address is that a lot of times people will get upset and say, well, that's not what it's like at my school. I understand that when it comes to education, really when it comes to anything, nothing is one size fits all. Um, so clearly my message is for those educators and for those parents who unfortunately are part of a school community where the leadership does abuse their power, where there is toxic leadership. Um, but anyways, uh, over the last, you know, it's been eight months because I started this TikTok in December of 2020, I have received, um, you know, messages from teachers and parents alike, even some students who, you know, want to clarify, how do I do this or how do I do that? Um, and a lot of them will say things like, oh, I, I just signed up to speak at my first board meeting or um, thank you so much for this. I sent the, the letter to opt out of the state standardized test that you suggested. Like, so I feel like I am reaching people. I don't, I don't think it's um, caused like a huge movement or anything, but for me, it is very satisfying to hear from, you know, a teacher or a parent that I've never met before who, you know, happened to come across one of my TikToks and it somehow helped them. I mean, for me, that's, that's reward, reward enough. So, um, and it's a neat feeling to be able to help people and to expose the education system, at least within Texas uh, for what it is. Um, and it's, it's money driven, it's profit driven. It's, they like to throw out those buzzwords of that, oh, it's for the children. It, it's really not forcing students and teachers to return to in-person learning amidst a global pandemic. And now this year, you know, not being allowed to mandate masks, that is not for the children. That is for someone else who clearly profits or gains something in some way. Um, so yeah, that, that's my message with the empowerment part. <laughs> so, no, 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 and I, I appreciate the passion you're bringing to this. So, but there are, there are probably other people on the other side of this that hear you say this and say, think what you wanna think, but then just leave, just mm -hmm. stop. You don't need to be in this fight. Just turn and walk away, find something else to do and just be quiet. Mm -hmm. So why, why, why stay or why return, I guess, and why continue to speak up about it? So when people say, well, and I get these comments all the time, you know, social media can be a really cruel place, um, but I have a thick skin. So, but yes, I get these comments all the time. Well, find a new career, honey, or, you know, uh, kids need to go back to normal. Their mental health is suffering. You know, I, I do hear a lot of these things. Um, one, if you weren't advocating for children's mental health pre-pandemic, you know, we're doing these shooting, uh, active shooter drills and guns in schools. If you weren't advocating then, um, you know, teen suicide was through the roof before the pandemic. Have a seat. That, mm. That's what I say. Have a seat because this is clearly because you've been inconvenienced in some way. And I know I'm making a huge generalization when I say that. Um, I know that doesn't apply to everyone. I know that there are families out there who 
have to go to work. They can't afford to pay their rent. They, they need, they do need someone to, you know, somewhere for their kids to go. Um, or there's those students with special needs who also need that in-person interaction, which I'm not against that. Yes, for the people who really need it, our first responders needed somewhere to send their kids. Um, so I'm not against that. But for the people who this is just, you know, this inconvenience of like, oh, you know, I'm getting sick of being around my kid or I need to send them away, that it's those people that I'm referring to. And so clearly that doesn't apply to everyone. Also, um, I did walk away. I came to the point where I said, my health is on the line. I was one of those vulnerable teachers who, you know, applied to continue working uh, virtually and was denied. And, you know, I have an underlying health condition. And at the time we didn't have a vaccine. And I was like, I'm not risking this. Unfortunately, um, the same day that I resigned was the day that I learned that one of my uh, former colleagues passed away due to COVID. And um, it was very upsetting because, you know, I had been waving the flag. I had been telling the district, do not force the teachers to go back even a day before you have already, because they did set a date. They said, teachers will have to come back on this date, which was before the students. But because I've been in this field for so long and I already know how most, but not all uh, administrators operate, I knew that there were gonna be some administrators that were gonna give the directive, come back before that date. And that's exactly what had happened to this teacher. He wasn't even supposed to be there on campus. And a lot of people will say, well, you, you have no way of proving that he got it at school. That's true. But the fact that he was positive and that he was around teachers at that time should be reason enough to be like, hey, maybe we shouldn't come back before the set date. Um, and it was just, it was a really sad situation. And also a few months after starting my TikTok and you know, I was growing on social media, um, a teacher whom I had never met before had reached out to me, had messaged me, and she was from you know, my former district where I was working. She was in the hospital and she had reached out to me and said, I have COVID. Um, the district is giving me a really hard time about my, um, is it the paid leave? And I mean, she's in her hospital bed and she's having to deal with this extra you know, thing and um, you know, she had reached out to me and two other teachers and we said, how can we help you? Do you want us to go to you know, the news stations, local news stations? We can speak at a board meeting, like how can we help you? And she's like, well, she, even as she was laying in her hospital bed, she was too afraid to like rustle any feathers or step on any toes, which I thought, oh my gosh, like you're so scared that even here, you, you, something really awful is happening to you. You still don't want to like upset anyone, you know? And um, so for, for the time being, she's like, let's not do anything yet, um, you know, and she would give us updates. But then um, unfortunately, a few months later, she did pass away from COVID. She, she got pneumonia due to COVID and she died from the pneumonia and she left two kids behind. Um, and the thing about these two teachers, I mean, I'm sure, there, I'm sure there were many more teachers who, you know, unfortunately passed away from COVID, but the schools were not acknowledging it. There was no tribute. There was no um, social media post. In fact, it was very strange to see these schools' um, social medias, their Facebook pages, carrying on with business as usual. Um, you know, a post, don't forget to sign up for whatever it was. There was nothing acknowledging the service that these teachers had given all these years. Um, and 
for me, that was very dehumanizing. Like, do we not uh, respect teachers enough to even acknowledge the fact that they basically sacrificed their lives and now here, here we are. Um, and again, it, at the time there was no vaccine, but there, we could have done virtual, we could have done better to have a more robust system for virtual teaching. Um, I'm just gonna take a guess here, but I just think that districts and even the state just couldn't be bothered to plan it or to implement it. It was like, nope, just go back to normal. And, and that's pretty upsetting. Cause it's like, okay, you clearly don't see us as humans. We're just, you know, pawns. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're talking about the this humanistic side of education. Yeah. And yet at the same time, I feel like there are a lot of people that look at schools and the systems as though they are a lack of humans as well. Like they're, they're this big beast, this shadow creature that we can't confront, <laughs> we can't do anything to, they just run the show or it runs the show. But right. the system is made up of a bunch of individual people Absolutely. who are making individual decisions that collectively impact all of us. Mm -hmm. So when we look at this system or the state or even the entire country mm -hmm. um, here, here in the US, we're talking about changing the way a lot of people operate, the way a lot of people think and make decisions. You know, as a former building and district administrator, somebody that is responsible for training a lot of future educational leaders right now, mm -hmm. I, I know it is extremely difficult for a lot of leaders. And I'm going to, I'm going to try to empathize a little bit with leadership who, who constantly feel this pressure that they're always a middle manager, no matter what their role is, they have, they have somebody to answer to above and people to answer to below in their hierarchy. Whether you're a superintendent and have to answer to a board or you're a board and you have to answer to your constituents or a principal and you have to answer to, to somebody else. Mm -hmm. Teachers are the same way though. They're answering to their own families and their own students as well as their principal. Mm -hmm. What I recognize about you is that although you're, you could be classified as this middle manager, this somebody, the person that has somebody to answer to, you're willing to stand up and say, yeah, I will answer to somebody else. I'll face the consequences, but I'm also going to speak my own mind and I'm going to stand on something. This is the hill I'm willing to die on. Yeah. Why is it that you think so many other leaders are afraid to identify that hill and are so willing to just go along with the politics and what they consider to be mass appeal? Um. I think that it comes down to retaliation from their own higher ups. Mm. Um, and perfect example would be, you know, last year when I, you know, did let my administrator know, listen, I know that we're supposed to return on this day. I'm not going to do it. Um, this principal was one of the best that I've ever worked with. And it was for such a short time because I, you know, ended up resigning. But I will never forget her telling me that, uh, she supported everything I did. So first of all, she she was the only principal I ever had that would like text me after hearing me speak at a board meeting and say like, good job or awesome. Like, I love what you said here or whatever. Like she was just, she was super supportive and she agreed with everything I said. One thing that she said that I'll never forget is that teachers are more protected than principals are. She mm -hmm. said, if you go and speak at a board meeting and you speak your mind and they don't like what you have to say, they can't fire you that's not the case for administrators. She said, if I were to go and do that, I would, I would get fired, uh, plain and simple. And I just remember thinking like, man, you know, is that policy or is that just something that they make principals believe? Like, is, is, is that really something that can happen? Because 
I feel like that's a lawsuit right there. Like, um, but I don't know. I, I, I'm not an expert in education policy and I don't even know if anything exists as far as, you know, um, being giving administrators the ability to also go to a board meeting and say, hey, this is what's happening and it's wrong because, and we need to change it because like, I don't know if there's a policy against that. I, I have no idea, but for teachers, um, and I know that this is in the state of Texas, I know there's other states um, that also have this rule, but in the state of Texas, if a teacher um, goes on strike, they, it, it's illegal here. And so they supposedly run the possibility of losing their certification as well as their retirement. I can see that happening to like one individual teacher, but I truly feel that we have power in numbers. And so, I mean, we're already in a teacher shortage pre-pandemic and then it's even worse now during this pandemic. But like, if all of these teachers were to suddenly put their foot down and say, absolutely not, you know, I demand safe work conditions or I demand better resources for my students, are they really going to fire all these teachers and take away their certification and take the retirement? I do think they would do it. Um, in the past few months, Governor Abbott has shown that he is gonna do what he's gonna do. But I just, I don't think that they're truly gonna retaliate against this like collective, this power that, you know, teachers have as a collective. And so I don't know what the case is for principals, but that's what my former principal had said to me when we, you know, we had a conversation about it. And um, when I resigned, unfortunately, this principal who supported me and agreed, you know, with many of the things I was saying, um, unfortunately, she was kind of, she was forced to um, cut all communication with me. And so when all this, you know, was happening, um, I basically got professionally ghosted. Um, and it, it was an ugly feeling. And I, I felt like I knew her well enough to remind myself like she's not doing this because she hates you it's not personal like clearly her higher-ups have told her to cut communication with you um, and I remember reaching out to my um, my board my, the trustee from my the board of trustees and you know explaining the situation to him and he was like I, I really don't know what to tell you I don't know why they're you know they've cut communication with you but there's really nothing I can do and I remember thinking but you're on the school board like there has to be something you can do. And so I remember at that moment thinking like, why do we have all these like elected positions of leadership if at the end of the day, they really can't do anything? Um, you know, is it theater? Like what, what is it? And so that also contributed to the frustration I was feeling, you know, when I started the, the TikTok and all that. So, so I, I, I can imagine people's minds are racing right now, trying to connect all of these dots and try, and yeah. they might just be saying <laughs> this, it's, it's a mess. So it how is. do we how do we fix things? You know, it, you can say go to school boards and talk to the elected officials. But to your point, oftentimes the elected officials are so disconnected from the actual practice in the schools that although they're 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 crafting policy and helping balance budgets, they don't necessarily get to see the actual implementation of the policies and the decisions that are being made. Then you have administrators that are oftentimes fearful of shaking up the horn or kicking the hornet's nest and upsetting people. So they maintain the status quo thinking, I got my job because of what I did in the past. I just need to continue to perpetuate that and never change things. Otherwise I'm going to lose my job. And I would also, I, I, I believe there are probably some teachers that enter the profession and say, I don't want to be a part of this mess. Just leave me alone. Let me have my safe little classroom. Let me close the door 
<laughs> teach kids and leave all of that mess to somebody else. Mm-hmm. Do you see a future where things do change? That's really a hard question. Um, in order to continue doing what I'm doing, I have to believe that there will be change. Um, I don't think, I mean, it sounds so it sounds so gloomy when I say it, but I don't think that it'll be within the timeline that I'm in the classroom. But if it's gonna help future teachers and future students along the way, then I'm more than willing to continue what I'm doing. Um, I did go back into the classroom just recently. I actually went back this past Monday and it was so surreal. Um, I had not been physically in a classroom since March of 2020. And so it was a great week. I, I absolutely loved it. And, um, and now I am at a district and a school where I am not experiencing all of the the frustrations that I did in my last school district. It, it's just, it's a complete 180. And I, I don't know if there's a term for this, um, but the closest thing I can like relate it to is like survivor's guilt, mm. where I'm like, okay, I am clearly aware of the broken system and the schools that are affected by it because I lived it for over a decade. But now I, I am now in this school here at home. This is the first time I'm teaching at home, you know, in El Paso. And it's just, it's a completely different world where teachers are treated like professionals. Um, We have autonomy and you could just tell that the culture within the school is just completely different. And so I had a fabulous week. Really the only complaint that I have is that my feet hurt. (laughs) (laughs) That's really the only complaint that I have, but it's just been so, so great. And so um, I've been reflecting a lot this past week about how I'm feeling because I'm feeling some type of way about it. And really the only thing I can relate it to is um, survivor's guilt. But since starting, or actually it was before I even went back into the classroom, I continue to speak at board meetings now here at home. Um, I had never spoken at any of the board meetings here, so it was a new experience for me. But I thought to myself, well, you know, good for you that you're in this great school where you feel like a professional and you're treated like one, um, but you have to continue the fight for those teachers who don't have that opportunity right now and who are stuck in those schools that still thrive on toxic leadership. I'm, I'm going to continue the fight. Um, wow. So, yeah. Well, I, I'm happy to hear you say that for a, a lot of different reasons. Yeah. You know, I, I've said before, and this might sound disingenuous, so I hope it comes across the right way, that on a very surface level, the pandemic did not expose any new issues. All it did was magnify things that were already in existence. That the pandemic has allowed you to find a platform to continue to speak about things that you were speaking about prior to. Right now, the conversation, yes, is about um, masks and and vaccine mandates and and things like that. Mm -hmm. But that's not really the heart of the issue that you're addressing. You're, you're, You're speaking about um, toxic leadership. You're speaking about not having a voice at the table. You're speaking about placating to the masses or the media or the market or whatever the case may be, as opposed to the kids. So post pandemic, I'm imagining, and I'm hoping and I'm praying that that world exists soon post pandemic, when things get back to normal, which is a, a scary thing for us to think we want to go back to the way it was when we just admitted that it, there were already problems back then. Mm-hmm. Do you see yourself continuing to speak up and speak out 
in, in the ways that you are right now, especially when, when you mentioned that you're, you're home right now, that you're in a place where you, you're kind of removed from some of that um, negativity that you were experiencing. And it could be out of sight, out of mind, but you see yourself continuing to, to fight for these things? Absolutely, I do. Um, one, so obviously way before the pandemic, um, my first two years of teaching, I remember being extremely frustrated, stressed, and I had, I had no way to articulate what, like what I was experiencing. I was just like, this is all messed up. Like, I, I don't want to do this. And so I actually walked away from teaching after my first two years. Mm. You know, they say that more than half of teachers, they, they really only make it to five years and then they peace out, you know? Um, but I ended up returning to teaching, I want to say four or five years later. And I joined, um, it was a, Ed Policy Fellowship. And this fellowship completely just opened my eyes to the world of education policy and advocacy. That was the purpose of this fellowship was to equip teachers with the tools to use their voice for, for change. And um, it was during that uh, fellowship that I gained the verbiage to articulate. I was like, oh, there's a name for that. I didn't know that. And so it was then, this was I want to say 2014 or 2015 when all this was happening. And um, I remember at the time thinking, well, I would like to stay in the classroom for as long as possible because I enjoy it. Really, the highlight of the day is being in the classroom with the students. That's the best part. Um, you know, it's all the bureaucracy and the politics that just make it awful. But the, the actual teaching part is just so wonderful. And so I was like, I would really like to stay in this profession for as long as possible, but somewhere down the road, eventually I would like to go into policy. Um, I get told a lot, like, do you want to be a principal? You should totally be a principal. And the answer is yes, I would love to, but I'm not going to. And the reason for that is because um, just from what I witnessed and, you know, this was, you know, with one district, so I shouldn't, shouldn't really generalize, but just from what I saw principals, um, although they might have the best of intentions, they do get sucked into that world of politics where they, they have to do whatever it is they're being told to do, even if they disagree with it. And I, I think to myself, no, I, as a teacher, I feel like I have more power and can definitely use my voice as an educator um, because we're still, you know, quote unquote, on the front lines. We, we're the ones face to face interacting with the kids on a daily basis. Um, and that's a voice that gets overlooked a lot um, by politicians, by parents, by anybody. And so aside from building a following with this social media um, platform that I have now, I, I also used it to reach out to elected officials, you know, on the local district, on the state level, um, because I feel like it's up to teachers. No one's gonna come and save us. It's that simple. Nobody is coming. And so it's up to us to reach out and open those lines of communication with elected officials who are creating the policy. And mind you, these are people uh, who very rarely come from a background of education. Um, I wanna say there's three or four former teachers in the state legislature right now. Um, and so teachers kind of have to bring their own chair to the table and help you know, shape and create that policy. But it's not just gonna happen overnight and it's definitely not something that someone's gonna come to us for. We have to make our voices heard. And so 
even after pre I'm sorry, even after the pandemic, when all this is over, hopefully soon, like you said, um, I am going to continue uh, because, like like you said, the, the pandemic only exacerbated the issues that the challenges that were already there, um, and we I feel like humanity has already experienced enough trauma from this pandemic that we just we can't go back to what was normal then we just can't um, and if we're gonna say that it's all for the students going back to that old normal definitely wasn't serving them um, you know so I, I will continue to fight it's just it's who I am it's who has emerged from all of this and you know she's here and she's here to stay I guess <laughs> I know I, I love that passion and I just want to call out to the people that are asking for that return to normal or that return to what was, mm -hmm. it's really a request for the same people that were in power before to return back to being in power. It's the same people that felt like they were in control of the situation before saying, let me return back to being in control of the situation. That's, that's the request. Yeah. So look at the people asking for it and ask, ask yourself, what position were they in three, four five years ago? And is that simply what they want to return back to or are they or are they trying to move us all forward because that's yeah. it's a big difference it's a big difference um jacqueline I, I really appreciate your honesty your transparency your vulnerability your willingness to, to share all this so, you know, i've got a a good friend of mine her name is jessica gentry and jessica is a former teacher from uh, bridgewater virginia and she was one of, my, one of my very first guests i had on the podcast and i brought her on because she had recently resigned teaching this was pre-pandemic and she was just she was being attacked mercilessly online because she posted um an editorial as to why she was leaving the profession and everything that you're saying right now is echoing what she was saying back then from 2,000 miles away from where you are no pandemic different political landscape but it's this, it was the same thing. So I, I, I'm going to challenge people to go back and, and recognize that this is an ongoing issue. You, you mentioned that there's a teacher shortage now. There was a teacher shortage four years ago. The teacher shortage is just continuing to build and grow because of this. And until we get that figured out, the real change makers, the real difference makers in the lives of kids aren't going to be there sitting in front of kids. So we have to fix this if we truly do care about the next generation, next uh, the, the destinies of the future. Um, I'm, but I'm going to ask you, I ask all of my guests this. So I want you to imagine that you, you now have a captive audience. You have people that are riveted on your every word and who are fascinated by you and your story. And, and you're able to leave them with something. It could be a charge. It could be a task. It could be anything. I, I call it that mic drop moment where before you walk off the stage, you say this thing, drop it and go. And it's what people are going to remember you for. What is your mic drop moment? Oh my gosh. No pressure. No <laughs> pressure. Oh, wow. Well, I guess the thing that I've been advocating the most for in it, through my social media is for both parents and teachers to speak at your board meetings, uh, build relationships with your elected officials, make yourself a part of the, the process of creating policy. They, they wanna hear from their constituents, but they don't always hear from anyone because it, it really hasn't been normalized. And it's also just very inconvenient, I think. Um, there's People don't know how to reach out or they don't have the time to make that phone call. Or even if they do, they're totally intimidated by like, oh my God, how am I gonna say it? What am I gonna say? It's an intimidating task. Um, 
but there's lots of resources out there, um, lots of people doing great work on trying to help empower people to reach out to their elected officials and to, you know, to speak truth to power. And so um, I think that mostly I want teachers to know that you're not going to get fired and you, you, you're just, you have a voice, use it. And it's um, what you have to say has value. It's important. Our stories matter and our experiences matter. And those stories, those experiences are what are going to help students. It's not going to be some, you know, career politician or um, it, it's going to be the teachers. It has to come from this movement that we can create because, like I said, we have power in numbers. So let's normalize that. Let's let's empower teachers. Let's empower educators and parents. Let's end toxic fear-based leadership, which I really think is what has kept the system broken for so many years so for all this time um and so yeah i think that's it well, i'm sure that after this i'm going to wish that i had said it more eloquently but well you know if you think of something if you think of something else just <laughs> give it a shout out on, on your social media and and Absolutely. people will watch it or we'll have to do a, a part two of this and i would Absolutely. love that <laughs> but speaking of your, your social media where where can people connect with you if they're not already following your journey yeah, um, so on Instagram, um, my handle or username is La Texas Advocate, and it's la dot Texas dot Advocate, and that's just a play on words for education advocate. <laughs> so, um, and it's the same username for TikTok, La Texas Advocate. Beautiful. And I'll have those things linked in the show notes for those of you that are overachievers and actually go down and read those things. So you can click on it and, and follow her journey. You'll be entertained. You'll be inspired. You'll be impassioned to go out there and make a change. So Jacqueline, again, thank you so much for taking time out of your, your busy schedule to sit down and, and connect with us. I know that you've inspired people to go out there and make a change. And if, if, if nothing else, I just appreciate you and your willingness to share your story and your journey with all of us. You are absolutely amazing. Thank you so much. This was such a neat experience. And really, I'm just, I'm so just, I feel very privileged that I was asked to be on this podcast. So thank you. I appreciate you. The, and the honor was all mine. Thank you. <laughs> all right. Thank you so much for checking out this episode of Lasting Learning. Interested in learning more? Feel free to check out one of my books like Making Assessment Work for Educators Who Hate Data But Love Kids, or Bold Humility, or It's Like Riding a Bike, How to Make Learning Last a Lifetime. Just visit schmidto.net for more information, or feel free to check out Amazon.